You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's good to have you with us today. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 56, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 of that psalm. And there's a concept that is brought out in this psalm that is probably something that, to one degree or another, we've wondered about or we've thought about. It's the idea of someone being out to get us or others being out to get us. I actually had the opportunity recently to get together with some friends that I've been friends with for quite a long time. And uh, they actually happened to bring some old videos that we were watching together. And one of the videos was when I was directing a summer camp. And I had decided that I was going to join the campers and the staff in a game of dodgeball. And initially I tried to be aggressive, but then I discovered that when the director of the camp, which was me, decides to play a game like dodgeball with the staff and the campers, you quickly become the target for everybody. (laughs) Uh, In the video, everybody was throwing dodgeballs at me, and I was trying to dodge them, and it didn't take very long before I got hit and eliminated from the game. So it literally felt like everyone was out to get me in that moment. And it's interesting, when we look at the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today from Psalm chapter 56, it's a portion of Scripture where it probably felt like everyone was out to get him, to David. As David penned these words, as he brought this up before the Lord as a prayer, this was something he was genuinely wrestling with. And this is what it says when we look at Psalm 56. It starts off with this intro and says, For the director of music, to the tune of A Dove on Distant Oaks, of David, a Miktam, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. And then he says, Be merciful to me, O God. For men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? All day long they twist my words. They are always plotting to harm me. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, eager to take my life. On no account let them escape. In your anger, O God, bring down the nations. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to spend some time today taking a look at it. And we pray, Lord, that now you would speak to our hearts and help us to understand your word, and that by your grace we would grow in our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, through it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I just read from Psalm 56, and as the intro to Psalm 56 states, uh, it tells us that this was a psalm that David wrote about the time when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. And if you want to uh, just gain a little bit more understanding about what's spoken of here in Psalm 56, it's helpful to also read from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And I want to start us off here by looking at a few verses from that book as well. This is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 21, starting with verse 10, and I'm going to read down to verse 15. But it says, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So that's the context in which this psalm was being written. David was in the midst of a context where he felt like everyone was out to get him. And in fact, he had been seized when he was in Gath and it appears that he was fearful for his life. Now, when we look at this portion of Scripture, there's a few ways that we could break this down. But one of the things that I notice in the first few verses of Psalm 56 is this. We see the pressing attack. It starts off by saying, Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. So we could see David's addressing here a pressing attack. Now, When you were younger, you probably had some daydreams about what you thought your day-to-day life was going to be like. I know I certainly did, and I'm assuming that everybody probably does. But when I was thinking about what my life was going to be like, I think for the most part, I only envisioned a picture of perfect scenarios. I thought my job would be perfect, and my family would be perfect, and my health would be perfect. I never found myself daydreaming about difficult days. I only found myself thinking about how wonderful everything was going to be. But the longer we live, the more we begin to realize that life isn't always picture perfect the way we initially envisioned that it might be. Have you ever taken the step of faith to come before the Lord and just simply pray to Him, and ask him to use your life however he chose, for whatever purpose he selected. That's something that I think can be a bit difficult to pray with complete sincerity, but that was David's attitude. Yet look at what some of that was like for him. We see David running from Saul. We see David disguising himself from those who wanted to kill him when he was in Gath. If you're one of the many people who think that you deserve the perfect life this side of heaven. This kind of experience could prove to be earth-shaking. If you were called to go through something like David illustrates in this passage, I imagine that that would be quite the test. It might even result in you becoming angry or resentful toward God, again, if you're under the mistaken impression that your life this side of heaven is always going to be picture-perfect. Because when we look at what David's experience was like here, He felt like he was being pressed on every side. 
we see that David was being hotly pursued. He was being hunted like an animal. That's the image he's trying to convey here. People were trying to take his life. People were coming at him from all different angles. And in the midst of that, he was also being slandered continually. Now, again, David could have responded to this experience with a variety of emotions or a variety of responses. He could have uh, responded to this experience with resentment. He could have responded to this experience with disdain. He could have snapped in his discomfort. But instead, he rested in his confidence in God. And when you look at some of the things that he says here, it gives us a glimpse into what the Lord was doing in his heart in the midst of these great trials that were certainly trials that were some of the deepest and most impactful trials of David's life. But he says to the Lord, be merciful to me, O God. And what he's doing is he's, he's putting up a plea for compassion from the Lord in the midst of his suffering. And he says he's, he's making this prayer to God, who is the one whose word I praise, meaning whatever God decrees, David accepts. He also states that, in God I trust. And that's an interesting statement for David to be making here, because not only do we see David expressing this, but what David's also doing here is giving us a picture of Christ's trust of the Father during the course of his earthly ministry. Another glimpse of this is given to us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, where it says, and again, I will put my trust in him, And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. David also comments that he will not be afraid. And this is, again, an interesting statement, particularly when we compare it to something like what we see spoken in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, where Christ says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then David offers up a question in Psalm 56, and I, I think it's an extremely helpful question. It's certainly something that I find beneficial to dwell on when I'm feeling stressed or maybe when I'm feeling like I'm being pressed from all sides. But he asks the question, what can mortal man do to me? It's strange when we think about it how we tend to spend our lives primarily fearing other people and what they can do to us, because other people we know can certainly attack us or they can slander us. We even know that people can kill us if they choose to do so. But the interesting thing is there is nothing that man can take from you that you weren't going to lose anyway. And there's nothing that man will be allowed to do to you unless God permits it. And Scripture reveals to us that basically if God permits it, it's going to be something that somehow works out to your benefit. It's kind of like what we read in Romans 8.28 where it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But one of the things that David was wrestling with in this psalm was the idea that people were taking what he had said and they were twisting his words. Look again at what he says in verses 5 to 8. He says, All day long they twist my words. They are always plotting to harm me. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, eager to take my life. On no account let them escape. In your anger, O God, bring down the nations. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Now, As I record this, I just had the opportunity to go out to eat with 
my kids, and uh, we tend to go out to eat at least once a week, sometimes even more than that, to be honest with you. And I enjoy being a father, but why is it that when you're talking to your children or pointing something out to them that you have said, that your children seem to have only heard what they want to hear? I think it's fascinating how they excel at telling me that I have said things that I I know that I have never spoken, <laughs> but they will gang up on me. All four of them, they'll gang up on me and tell me that, oh, yeah, no, Dad, you said that. You absolutely said that. And I'm like, no, I know I did not say that because that's not something I would say, but they insist on it. And it's kind of funny because when you think about it, children do that somewhat innocently. But here in David's case, there were those who were out to get him with very malicious intent. In their attempts to discredit him, raise up support against him, or justify their hatred of him, they would take his words and they would twist them. It seems that they had no trouble in their conscience slandering him, and likewise, they weren't bothered by misrepresenting what he had said. And what they were doing was they were doing more than just opposing David. What they were doing was opposing all that was good. And when we take a look at the things that are being referenced here, When we look at David's adversaries, as they're spoken of in Psalm 56, we have David's adversaries giving us a fitting picture of the activity of Satan, who is our true enemy. It's also interesting when we compare that with 1 Peter 5, verse 8, because there it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So Satan, our true enemy, is seeking as our adversary to devour those that he can. And what does he do? He twists words, right? When we look at some of the things that Scripture tells us that, that Satan has said, he'll, he'll look at things like in the Garden of Eden, for example. He'll, he came to Eve, and he's speaking to Eve, and he makes comments to her that start off with him saying, did God really say dot, 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 right? You know, did God really say this, or did God really say that? He twists words. We also know that Satan plots harm. You know, he looks to harm God's people. He looks to harm all people. He conspires against people. He lurks. He looks for someone he can devour. He watches the things that we're doing, and he studies people, and he looks for our weaknesses, and then he aims directly for them. And the Scripture reminds us that Satan is eager to take lives. And if he doesn't take someone's physical life, he's certainly eager to ruin their life or ruin their testimony in this world. I was reminded of a friend recently, someone that I grew up with, and I was telling my friends a little bit about him. Uh, He was someone who grew up in a a Christian family. Uh, I know he was certainly surrounded by Christian influences, and he got all tangled up in so many things, and in particular, I remember at one point he would continually brag about his deviant sexual behavior. That was something that was high on his list to brag about. And years later, he actually ended up being imprisoned for some of that activity. And you look at things like that and you ask yourself, what leads to that? How does someone growing up in a seemingly good environment end up there? Well, in his context, and maybe we've experienced some of these things as well, Unfortunately, he chose not to resist the devil's schemes, and he chose not to rely on the power of Christ. And what happened was the devil devoured him. The devil devoured his life. You know, it says in 1 Peter 5, uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, Resist him, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When we come back to Psalm 56, we see David in the midst of a trial, and in the midst of this experience, he simply asks the Lord to notice his grieving. Even though others are twisting his words, even though others are opposing him, even though others are working against him, he knew that the Lord would notice, and he knew that the Lord would record his lament. And the way David phrases it, he says, record my lament, list my tears on your scroll and he knew that the Lord would do so accurately. I once read that some mourners during that particular era of history would, at times when they were grieving, they would they would try and catch their tears in bottles or water skins, I guess they would have been, and they would place those water skins that had their tears from when they were mourning at the tombs of their loved ones as a symbolic display uh, that would show how much they had grieved. And when David is praying here before the Lord, he's confident that the Lord hears him. He's confident that the Lord is aware of his grieving. Thankfully, we know as followers of Jesus Christ that there is going to be a day for us when there will be no more grieving or mourning or crying or pain, that the Lord will take care of that all, that the Lord will handle it all. It'll all pass away as the Lord ushers in the new era of history. I was thinking of that even recently as a, a friend of mine sadly lost his wife very suddenly. She passed away, and she was somebody that truly displayed the heart of Christ in her life, and I've certainly been praying for him and for his family. But the Lord notices his tears. The Lord isn't ignorant of my friend's tears. The Lord's not ignoring him. And again, thankfully, there will come a day when there will be no more tears. And Scripture reveals to us that God is quite excited to bring that about. But there's something else that David brings out in this passage of Scripture, and this is where I want to finish up today with this concept. He recognizes that man may be against him, but God is for him. Look at what he says in verse 9 down to verse 13 of Psalm 56. He says, Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Something that the Lord has had to teach me is that there is no shame in asking for help. We need help. Without help, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And above all, we need his help. And we're reminded in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We were helpless, but Christ intervened. Christ came and interjected himself into human history. And the scripture tells us that Christ came to rescue us, that Christ came and died for sinners. We needed that help from him. That's not something that we could have supplied for ourselves. And David, when we look at this psalm, he realized that the only way his enemies would be stopped would be with the Lord's help. There was no alternative. There was no plan B. And the truth is, the same is true for us. 
We need to remember who the real enemy is and how he is defeated. And the Lord's power is sufficient to defeat the advances of Satan. And in contemplating this, you have David here, and he's saying that that this was confirmation that God was indeed for him. And he was reminded again that even though he felt afraid, he ultimately did not need to stay in that spot of paralyzing fear. So anticipating God's victory and trusting God's plan, David speaks of presenting thank offerings to him. Now think about that for just a moment and put that in the context of our modern worship context. When we gather together for a worship service or a church service, whatever you want to call it, what are we there to do? In that context, as we gather together with other believers, are we there to get something or are we there to give something? Scripture reveals to us that it's better to give than to receive. So in a sense, we could say that we come into a context like that with the same heart that David expresses here when he says that he wants to present his, his thank offerings. And we do so to Jesus. We thank Jesus in prayer. We thank Jesus in our fellowship, in our song, in our service, in our study, in our reflection on his word, in our financial giving, in communion, in baptism, in all of these things. We present our thanks before the Lord because he is so good and he has helped us and he has looked at us with complete compassion and he's interjected himself into our lives, and he chose not to abandon us. And I love when we look at this psalm, and we can see how it ends here. David concludes this psalm by praising the Lord for the fact that, first of all, he says, you have delivered me from death. That's a wonderful thought for us to reflect on as well, because Scripture tells us we were dead in sin, but Jesus delivered us. David says, you have delivered my feet from stumbling, and the Lord offers us that help as well. David says that I may walk before God, and the idea is that he wanted to live out his life with integrity and with the strength that the Lord supplied him so that he could go about his day-to-day life in such a way that he could walk before the Lord confident that he's welcomed into the Lord's presence and that he has the privilege to live a life that the Lord's blessed him to live. And he continues that thought by saying, in the light of life. And in our context, when we think about this and when we apply these truths to to our day-to-day living, we know that we were dead in our sin, but now through faith in Jesus Christ, we live. We're alive. We were in darkness, but now we're in light. The Lord's rescued us. The Lord's delivered us through Jesus Christ. I remember one particular evening when my sister and my fiancé, who is now my wife, were driving back to college at the end of one of our breaks. We actually got caught in a very bad snowstorm. The weather was terrible. The storm was debilitating. They were closing roads all around us. And we were stuck in that context. I spent most of that drive outside pushing the car and I was freezing because we, we just kept getting stuck. And finally, we hooked up with another caravan of people like us that were stuck in this weather. And we all started helping each other through. We all started to assist each other. If one car got stuck, we all got out and helped to push the car so that it could continue on. And we were trying to look out for each other. And it was a gift from God to have that assistance from other people. And we felt like the Lord had brought those people into our lives, and by God's grace, we made it back safely. And I remember that evening as I was back in my dorm, just sitting there reflecting on everything that we had experienced, I thought, wow, this is what deliverance feels like. 
We were stuck in that storm. We were fearful of what might happen. We were in weather conditions that really could have harmed us physically. And yet, by God's grace, he sent help, and he delivered us. And when you look at David's context, and when you think about the things that he was dealing with as he penned the words of this psalm, we recognize that he was looking to the Lord for help. He was looking to the Lord for deliverance. In the midst of a pressing attack where people were twisting his words, he recognized that man may be against him, but God was for him. And the same is true for you and for me. In Christ Jesus, we find deliverance, and the Lord offers that to all those who will trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it today. And Lord, as we just meditate on the truth of this word, we pray that we would always be encouraged by the fact that you offer your deliverance to your children. Lord, we were lost in darkness, we were lost in our sin, and we could have remained there forever. But by your grace, you intervened, and you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth as a sacrifice for our sin, experienced the penalty that we deserved, then rose from the grave and defeated sin and defeated Satan and defeated death. And now that victory is shared with all of us who believe. Lord, we pray that our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, would grow stronger and stronger every day. And we pray, Lord, that in the midst of any adversity we go through, that we would remember the teaching of this Scripture that reminds us that man may be against us, but you are for us. And in the end, what can mortal man really do to me? Lord, we're grateful for these reminders, and we thank you for this all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to the informal Bible study. If you'd like to help this ministry to continue, there are three ways that you can offer encouragement and support. One of the ways is becoming a member of our Dollar Donors Club and help us cover our hosting and production costs by chipping in about a dollar a month. And the link to do that is on our website at pastor.us. You can also purchase resources to help you in your walk with Christ. And those are also found at pastor.us, where we have a variety of books and materials that you can purchase and, by God's grace, enjoy. And another way that doesn't cost you anything but would certainly be a benefit to us as we seek to expand this ministry is to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. And from time to time, we'll be reading some of your reviews in future episodes. So if you get a second and wouldn't mind doing so, leave a rating or a review for this podcast on iTunes and we would be extremely grateful. So that's all for this episode. Be sure to visit us online at pastor.us, and we hope that you have an excellent day. Thanks. Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.